And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Friday, April 24th, 2020, and I have a very special guest with me. I have Dr. Avi Baranis, uh, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Business and Economics at Elmhurst College. How are you, Avi? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, glad to. So you're a professor at Elmhurst College, and you're obviously faced with having to teach via some video conferencing software. How's that going? It's been a challenge. Um, We've been using a combination of Blackboard Collaborate and Zoom and various video conferencing services that I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, It has definitely been a challenge. It's been tough not being able to see my students. I think that's what I miss the most is that interaction. Are they having trouble with the technology themselves? Getting up and running? I think they're familiar. We went through a couple tests before it happened. When when we... uh, when it became clear that we were likely going to be moving online, I made sure to work with my students and kind of show them exactly how it was going to work. And I think that helped a lot. Well, I certainly don't envy you having to teach that way, but let, <laughs> we'll, we'll get on here. So economics, um, is it part science and part art? That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, uh, there, there's definitely a science aspect to it. There's definitely a mathematical, rigorous understanding of the relationships that occur in our society to it. But there is also an art in that a lot of economics is knowing what questions to ask and knowing what questions are the right questions to ask. Um, and that's something that you kind of have to feel out as you go. So as it relates to, to 2020 and this pandemic, have economists ever studied the expected effects of a pandemic on the economies of the world before? Not, not to my knowledge. I mean, you'd have to go back to, I guess, the 19, you know, the Spanish flu until for the last time we had a pandemic of this scale. Um, And the economy has changed so much since then, that any study that would look at the effect of a pandemic on the economy probably isn't up to date. So we both know that our economy has been severely damaged, at least in the short term, you know, whether it's restaurants, health spas, clothing stores, gas stations, even the list goes on and on. Um, What do you think the prospects are going forward for the local economy, the state economy, the national economy and the world economy for that matter? I think it's going to be a challenge. Um, When this first started, my view was that if we had the right policies put in place, then we might kind of get that V-shaped recovery where you have a pretty hard landing, but then a fairly quick resurgence. Um, The longer things go with reduced consumer spending, the longer things go without the right policies in place, the less I'm sure that we're going to get that nice V-shaped recovery. And we could see another kind of transformation of our economic system as a result and not necessarily better. Obviously, this, you know, one or two or three month period is just horrible and Right. You know, probably I, I would guess it's a lot worse than what happened in 2008 in terms of the short term effect. But do you think the recovery is going to take as long as it did after 2008? I hope not. Um, one of the things that I'm at least a little optimistic with for the recovery is that the fundamentals of the economy are still kind of there. 
what we had in 2008 was a massive bubble and collapse. And you kind of had to have these restructurings. You had to have cash flow obligations change, debt obligations change. You don't necessarily have the same kind of fundamental difference or fundamental restructuring that's occurring with this one. This is people are unable to work, so people have their cash flows disrupted. But once cash flows can once cash flows can restart. Um, then we should be able to see a recovery and we should be able to see a quick recovery. Uh, I go back to, you know, if you do want to take one lesson from the uh, flu epidemic in, the in 1918, you know, one of the issues, one of the things with the roaring 20s was people could go and do stuff again and people wanted to get out of their houses and people wanted to go and spend. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if we had a quicker roaring recovery as a result as people can get out of their houses and start to do the things that they used to just maybe on a larger scale. We've been uh, asking a lot of our guests about uh, innovation and how they, they think this period might actually help us innovate on some levels. On other levels, maybe there won't be as much innovation, but do you think the, uh, the ability for companies to operate in this environment might carry forward and, and companies may operate completely differently in the future? I think so. And to some extent, I hope so. Anytime you get a massive change like this, which changes the fundamental perspective on economic relations and economic systems, you do want change to come from that. Um, and those kinds of changes, I think, will be for the better. I think we're seeing more connection. I think a lot of us are seeing the importance of local businesses and the local economy as a result. When you have these kinds of pandemics, when you have these kinds of crises, it is important that we learn lessons from them. We learn uh, how to operate. We learn how to do things. And sometimes uh, the things we learn work better than the way we were doing them before. Um, as, a, you know, as I'm teaching online, as I'm shifting my own work, uh, I have found that certain things that I do during the pandemic work better and, are, and make my content more applicable and more uh, useful and understandable for students. Um, so I'm going to continue to do those kinds of things. Um, what, what I hope is that we learn the right lessons from the pandemic. For example, how important the local economy is. Uh, we learned that, you know, maybe it's worth it to spend a little bit more money at a local restaurant than go to the uh, national chain, for example. Just sure, think, sure. things like that. Um, so I, I hope we, do, we don't go back to business as usual, but I hope the lessons we learned from the pandemic are the right ones. Um, you know, I've seen here a lot in our local economy that as businesses get some capital through, in some cases, uh, the SBA PPP loans, that the jobs in theory should come back online. Yeah. But I hear in the news and I also hear from some of my local contacts that they have some, you know, what I would call more entry level employees that are doing better staying home on unemployment than they would coming back and working at their normal wages. And I just wonder how that might shake out in the long run. So this is a challenge. And I think it's something that um, as we look at employment relations, as a result of the pandemic, we have to think about as well. Um, you look at the unemployment funding that's being given, and it seems generous based on what is normal and what's traditional. But it's really not that generous. 600 a week, if you calculate it out, that's about 28,000 a year, maybe 29,000 a year. Um, that's 
Not a lot, especially if you're trying to support a family. Um, what I hope is that we see the importance of uh, low-level em employment in these jobs that we're seeing as uh, essential jobs. Uh, maybe we can start to pay them as if they are essential jobs. It's one of these things where you know the job might have the label essential, but the paycheck almost says expendable. Um, so I think it's important that when we look at the people who are on the ground, uh, the people in our grocery stores, the people who are delivering our packages, the people who allow us to stay safe at home, um, that we actually reward them for taking on that kind of risk. I'm sure that you've uh, probably done some math with uh, some of these stimulus bills, and this is real money. And I did a quick calculation, and and if you uh, for every one trillion in stimulus, if you look at the number of full-time and part-time workers in our in our economy it comes out to like six thousand dollars per worker in our economy that's not an fte equivalent but it's right. real money for every trillion it's six thousand dollars how is this going to saddle future generations with debt and and the effect on their taxes so my my concern is more the cost of not doing it. Um, when we look at spending relations, especially in the aggregate, uh, federal government stimulus typically translates into private sector profits, which can be used for reinvestment and can be used for re savings in real terms as opposed to financial. One of the fears I have with regards to the pandemic, and it's one of the things that I would like policy to focus more on, is the reduction in consumer spending and the reduction in the cash flow that results from it. It's one of the most fundamental basic economic relations that people seem to overlook is that, you know, spending is what leads to income and spending is what leads to profit. And if, the cons if consumers are going to stop spending as a result of the pandemic, which I think we're seeing a lot of, then something else has to pick up the slack. Otherwise, incomes are going to fall and that's going to reduce saving. That's going to reduce our ability to restart the economy uh, once the pandemic is over. What needs to happen is a way to maintain those kinds of cash flows uh, so that when the pandemic is over and people can go back to work, you know, businesses have the ability to rehire the people that they had to furlough or lay off. Um, and that only happens if you have spending. And once the economy picks up, I think we will see uh, a reduction in the government spending as consumer spending and investment spending rises to fill, rises to refill that gap. Do you think there might have been a better way for the federal government to determine who got stimulus checks. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are gainfully employed just like they were before this pandemic and they're getting stimulus checks and they probably really don't need them. And then there's others that have lost their jobs and probably need more than, than they actually receive. So do you think there was a better way to distribute the, uh, that stimulus out to uh, taxpayers? Yes. Um, for the unemployment issue or for the making sure that it just goes to those who lost their jobs, um, it would have had to have been done through unemployment. Um, and part of the issue was uh, as people were losing their jobs and filing for unemployment, the system just wasn't able to handle it. We saw stories of the unemployment system in various states crashing, um, people waiting extremely long wait times to be able to even file for these claims. You know, when you have, I think the number is up to 
27 million now initial jobless claims um, all at once you know that that's a big strain on the infrastructure to do it i do think i think it was one of those things where it was just easier to issue everybody a check um, now that being said i do think that there were other things that could have been done better and might have been a little easier to do one would have been a real push and a real focus on developing say um, community development banks and kind of rebuilding this kind of infrastructure where you could have institutions that were set up to provide funds directly to the local community. Um, I, I think a lot, I think a big part of the issue is that the federal government is trying to do this all on their own when really the funding should be federal, but the implementation should be local. Um, because who knows the best way to use funds in the local level than the local community itself. Right. Uh, so I think that would have been one way to do it a little better. One last thing I want to ask you about is uh, the effect on our governmental bodies. Um, you know, here in Elmhurst, for instance, I know sales tax revenue is way below what it was projected to be. What do you think the long-term effects of that is going to be? Is it going to be a pareback of services and new capital projects, or do you think it'll be an increase in taxes down the line? I think initially it's going to be a pareback in service projects. Um, I don't think, and I would hope uh, the local governments wouldn't want to raise taxes, which would reduce any spending that would be forthcoming as a result, taking money out of the hands of the consumers. Um, I think down the line, as the economy begins to pick up, we may see taxes rise. Um, but I, I would hope that they wouldn't, um, initially start with that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I will hope that uh, you'll come back and maybe join us in a week or two and we can explore some other issues, especially as this, this pandemic starts to wind down, hopefully, and we realize um, what our economy is going to be like when we come out of this. Because I don't think any of us really know when this thing's going to end. And that's the yeah. scary part, isn't it? The uncertainty. It is, but that, that being said, there are things that we can do in the meantime that I would hope to, that would lessen some of the economic impact. I think the big one is there has to be a way to maintain cash flows um, for businesses and for the companies that are going to hire. So I'd like to see future policies, whatever they might be, focus on maintaining spending, focus on maintaining cash flows to the small and local businesses so that when we do come out of it, people can go right back to work as before. Right. Dr. Avi Baranis, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a delight and we look forward to talking to you in the near future. Thank you so much. Can't wait. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley, as president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended.
Hey, it's your friend Sal here for the Eat Town Lowdown. I'm here to remind you to support Eat Town's local restaurantes. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm having a virtual Zoom party with my cousins. You know, Zoom, the video conference deal. So, you know, of course, we need both audio and video since uh, all of me cuisine talk with their hands. You know what I mean? So my cousin Mike at a hurricane starts talking about getting some grigliata. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? In, in British, you call it octopus. And Mikey's got a craving. So I tell him to order up some positive pizza over in the middle of town at York Road in the train tracks. So then I start thinking some posi wouldn't be bad dinner, you know what I mean? So I order up some penne arabiat for myself and some chicken limon for the little missus. Of course, I had to get some octopus and some calamari too. It turns out posi carries some good vino too. Old Stale here recommends the Chianti Rufina from Tuscany. Smells like a cherry and plum with a little hint of tobacco. Bellissimo. Pazzi's a great place to get some fresh Italian. And I didn't even get into the pizzas. Mama mia, that's another story for another day. You know what the famous director George Miller once said? The trouble with eating Italian food is that five or six days later you're hungry again. And that guy did both Babe the Pig and the Mad Max movies. This is Slappy Sal reporting for the Eat Town Lowdown. Stay hungry, my friends. Ladies and gentlemen, we are Steve Waddington and the Retro Rocket All-Stars. And when we're not rocking in Southern California, we listen to the E-Town The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.